Father, this evening, once again, we thank you. Every opportunity you give us to come together in your name, to worship you, to praise you, to learn of you, to encourage one another to stand firm, to stay the course as we see, literally see the events leading to your coming. Help us to stay focused. Help our heart to be stayed on you, God. Because your word says you keep him in perfect peace whose heart is stayed on you. Everything around us happens so that we would be distracted. But we need you, Lord, even now. Even now, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We looked a few weeks back at the highest point in Israel's history, the day the, the temple, Solomon's temple was consecrated. We saw the glory of God filling the temple. The priest couldn't minister anymore and we see that night what God spoke to Moses, uh, sorry, to Solomon. Most strange words, that's not the kind of stuff you want to hear on the greatest day in your history. But God knows our hearts tend to wander. Our weak, our feet will walk away. We will slip. We will fall. We will go into disobedience, rebellion, and God will have to deal with His people. So there, God will speak to him, and He will say, "When these things happen, God says, I will withhold my blessings. I'll withhold my hand, so that lack." will come in, famine will come, the destroyer will send, all kind of things will happen. And then he says, if my people who are called by my name, we know that. He says, four things, if they humble themselves, if they pray, they tur- if they seek my face, and if they turn from their wicked ways, he said, I will hear, I will forgive your sins. And he says, I will heal the land. And actually every person sitting here and every person in the world, every home, every nation needs is God to hear their prayers. God to forgive us and God to heal us. But we saw that man usually gets stuck at the first gate. What is the first gate? If my people are called by my name, humble. And we get stuck at that gate, humility. Now suppose one passes the first gate, okay? We managed to make our way through. We humbled ourselves, let's say, you know, we believe. We humbled ourselves and we come to gate two. What is gate two? My people pray. If you look in scripture, the first three chapters of Genesis before the fall, we don't hear about sacrifices or prayers. In the Bible. It was an incredible sweet time of fellowship with God. As God and man walked in unity. And everything being blessed and prospering as a result of that. So there is neither prayer nor sacrifice. Because it's not needed. A day will come when there will be neither again sacrifices or prayer. Because we see him face to face. Then comes the fall and we have Cain and Abel or Abel and Cain. Bringing sacrifices. And it is also written at the time of Seth, the third son of Abraham, so of Adam, who is mentioned by name. 
that prayer begins. People started calling upon the name of the Lord. So sacrifices and prayer begins after the fall. But like everything in the kingdom of God, including sacrifices, worship, faith, fellowship, everything, even prayer is based on very specific kingdom principles or laws. God does not respond to prayer by whim or fancy. Okay? We need to pray. And we need God to hear our prayers. But it cannot be according to a whim or our fancy because there are fundamental principles by which prayer must be offered to be heard. Why is this so important? Because like a man of God said, he said it this way, a time will come to everyone's life where God answering your prayer will be the most important thing ever. Nothing else would be more important than, oh God, please hear me. Therefore, we need to learn from scripture how to pray. One thing the disciples noted about Jesus was his prayer life. That's why they asked him, please teach us to pray. We know that even after he gave them power, they were not able to handle certain cases of deliverance cases. And he said, the answer is, you need more prayer. You need to pray more with fasting. If you look at the requests of the apostles in the four gospels, okay, when Jesus is alive and walking on earth, four gospels, and then in the book of Acts, after Pentecost, you will see such a complete paradigm shift in the way they ask or request or pray. In the gospels, among their various requests include send fire down on people who reject the gospel, send the people away who are hungry, okay, or can I sit on your right or your left? You will never see them actually in sync with Christ and the kingdom of God. So their prayers are like that, most often like ours. But the book of Acts is an eye-opener after Pentecost. There is no record in the book of Acts of them having failed in their faith. In their answer to the prayer, God will save multitudes. There will be naturally signs and wonders following them. Places where they prayed were shaken. Prison doors were opened. All kinds of things are happening. The question is, what changed between the Gospels and the book of Acts? What changed is the coming of the Holy Spirit and their prayer life changed. They quit their agenda and started moving towards God's agenda. Their prayer life changed completely. Remember, the day of Pentecost is followed by 10 days of intense prayer, which leads to the day of Pentecost, and after that, everything changes. When persecution increased, all they did was lift their prayer life to another level. And you will see when there is issues in the church, one of the things the apostles will say that we will not get distracted and move away from our twofold ministry, our prayer life and our word life. Nothing will affect that. The greatest impact Pentecost did was on their prayer life. So tonight we will look at some of the fundamental principles of prayer as we see in the new covenant. Okay? And as a primary text, we will look at James chapter 4 and verses 1 to 10.
Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and moan and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This is a basic text, okay? We may not be able to look through all ten verses. James, not this James, that James, is a very practical teacher. He's not a theologian. He's a very, very practical teacher. In verse 1, James chapter 4 and verse 1, he asks this question. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Why do people fight with each other? The reason people fight with each other and they cannot get along with each other is simply because they cannot get along with themselves. People fight outwardly because they fight inwardly. Because Jesus had perfect peace inside, he never fought with anybody. He just dealt with issues. Okay? That's what he's talking about. Where do wars and fights come? Among you. Among. Because they come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. We have war going, strife, lack of peace inside, and it manifests as fight among ourselves. Okay, so he says, look to the root of issues. In James chapter 4, and when you come to verse 2, so no, verse 2, let's go to verse 2, okay? And how does it, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. All kind of things happen. Lusting, killing, coveting, fighting, warring. All this happens because you do not have what you want. You want certain things. Certain things in your life, in your home, in your job place, whatever, whatever you want. We want a lot of stuff, he says. And your fights arise inside and then outside because you don't have what you want. There is so much strife. Now, this is all being written to believers. This has got nothing to do with the world. This is written technically to the 12 tribes spread around the world, basically saying the church that is spread. There is so much strife in the lives of people because of lack. Because of lack. There is lack. Everybody's life, there is lack. But what is the primary cause of lack in the lives of God's people? What's the primary cause of lack in God's people according to the text? 
You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. The answer is literally staring in our eyes. We may have read this passage a hundred times, yet we miss it completely. What is it? We do not have because we do not ask. We forget to ask one person who is able to answer us. We don't ask him. Instead, we fight with ourselves and we fight with others because we lack. And we lack because we do not ask. In John 16 and verse 24, this is what Jesus said. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. He said, ask. You will receive. The Father through the Son says, ask and you shall receive. What God says happens in the church are the struggles of prayerlessness. Come, says the Father, boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace. That is Hebrews 4.16, right? Come boldly, confidently, come, 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 pray, come. That's how we go to God in prayer. But do people pray? Do we really pray? Matthew 7, verses 7 to 8, God says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. In verse 9 and 11, O what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Interesting, right? Now he's not talking about the Holy Spirit in this portion. He's talking about things. You want things, you ask things. Why do you fight? Why do you fight among yourself for things? You actually end up fighting among yourself from things is because there is absolute lack of prayerlessness in your life. You don't pray. You don't ask God. You don't ask God. You ask man. And man doesn't have the power to give. And then you start get upset with man. Then you start fighting with yourself. Then you start fighting with others. But you forget to actually in prayer consistently ask God. If you really need a thing, then go to God. He says, I will answer your prayer. And our father doesn't give bad things. There's nothing bad from our father. Our father gives what? Good things. He only gives good things. He doesn't give bad things. Not only does he give us good things, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. He does not even just give you a good thing, he gives you a perfect thing. It would be perfect for you. Comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It's an incredible verse. There is no variation, no shadow of turning. Absolutely. No variation. That's why the first block is pride. If you humble and pray. Prayerlessness is a curse of the 21st century Christian. One man of God put it this way. Prayerlessness is not weakness. It is wickedness. It's not wickedness. It's not weakness. Don't say I am so weak I cannot pray. He says no, it's not. We can do everything but we don't pray. We do not have. The first 
thing God mentions in James chapter 4 is that you do not have because you do not ask. Look at the strife in homes. Wives upset with their husband. Why? Because I asked, he didn't give you. God says, why did you ask me? Why didn't you ask me? I would have answered your prayer. Without you probably even ever having to ask one word to your husband, I would have put it into his heart saying, go get this for your wife. You would have an incredible experience for you saying, I did not ask and you brought this for me. You really thought about me, what wonderful would have been. But you don't ask me. You go to him and you ask, he doesn't give and you start fighting. So you don't ask me. Children the same way, you don't ask me. Employees the same way, you don't ask me. You get upset with your manager because he didn't grade you, he didn't get a promotion, but God says, why didn't you ask me? Why didn't you ask me? First is the curse of prayerlessness. Prayerlessness, as that man of God said, is not weakness, but wickedness. Listen to 1 Samuel 12, 23. What Samuel will say. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should against the Lord in ceasing to pray. He says, if I cease to pray, I am actually sinning against the Lord. If I cease to pray. That's what Samuel is saying. Lack of prayer is sin. In Luke 18 and verse 1, he spoke a parable to them and said, men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. Meaning, don't give up. Okay, I prayed one day, two days, three days. Two days, three days, and we give up. Do you remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? After the fire had come down. After the fire. After the prophets of Baal had been destroyed and Ahab had gone to eat and drink, he climbs back again back to the mountain and continues his prayer. Now he's praying. He's on his knees with his head between his knees and he's praying. What is he praying now for? For rain. He tells his servant, go see. He says, I see nothing. Go again, see. Go again, go again, go again, go again. He will not lose heart. Because he says, you promised us rain. No, Lord, you promised. You have said in your word, if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away from your wicked things, Lord, all this for has happened. One thing I know, these people do not have the power to pray, but I have. I'm not going to faint in this situation. I'm not going to faint. Now I'm going to, going to rise from this place until I have seen the rain come. Then at eighth time, or seventh time, whichever way you want to count, the servant comes and says, I see a cloud like a hand rising in the horizon. He said, that's it, it's coming. It's coming. That's what he's saying. Do not faint in praying. Do not give up in praying and stop praying. First Thessalonians 5.17 We are called to pray without ceasing. Don't stop. God says don't stop. There are certain prayers which can never stop. John Bunyan said this in Pilgrim's Progress. Very interesting. Prayer will make a man cease from sin. But sin will make a man cease from prayer. It's true. All of us. 
Absolutely true. Never in my life have I prayed and sinned. But I have sinned when I have been prayed. Prayer will make a man cease from sin. But sin will make a man cease from prayer. There is no sin in my life or your life, our life. Prayer or dependence on God would not have prevented. No sin. Why? Because before sin comes temptation. Before sin comes temptation. What are we called to tackle? Not sin, we are called to tackle temptation. And Mark 14 and verse 38, Jesus said, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. So you don't have to worry about sin. If you handle temptation. In English, medical terms we use, prevention is better than cure. Just don't worry about sin. Handle temptation. How do you handle temptation? In prayer. Watchful in prayer. Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. Why do we sin? Because we fall into temptation. Why do we fall into temptation? Because we are not watchful in prayer. We are not watchful in prayer. We know by now, by now, here, we should know very well Hebrews 5-7. Very well. What does it say? About Jesus. The secret of Jesus' total victory over sin. While in the flesh. What is the reason? Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, was able to see him from death. Death is the result of sin. Sin is the result of giving into temptation was heard because of his godly fear. How did he overcome sin? By praying. Simple. How did he? By praying. That's how he overcame temptation. Because he overcame temptation, he overcame sin. Hebrews 4.12 is very clear, the next one. Hebrews 4.12. Yeah, the one which he had shown. No, no, no. I had given you, no? What is the one I gave you? Yeah? No, sorry, it is the one before that. He was tempted at all points, but did not sin. I think it's nine or ten. Yeah? Fifteen. Uh, four fifteen. Four one five. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was also in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So was he tempted? Yes. But did he fall in his temptation? No. Why? Because of his prayer life. See, if the father gave him something which we are not, we don't have access to, then we can say, okay, he was without sin and he overcame sin, but we cannot. God says no. He overcame. He came in the flesh just like us. He overcame sin because of his prayer life. He was absolutely watchful in his prayer life. Prayer life. He prayed. Therefore, when he entered into temptation, he did not sin. Temptations will come. You cannot stop temptations from coming. But God says you can overcome every temptation if you are watchful in prayer. That's why God says you have not because you ask not. All 
our struggles and our failures are because we do not ask. We do not ask. A little boy was trying to push a big stone. It didn't budge. His father who was watching asked him, Have you used all that you have? He said, Yes. The father said, No. You haven't asked me yet. You haven't asked me yet. That's like, we try everything. Except, ask God. Everything. Often we are so burdened and we have no peace, no joy, and the answer could be so simple as, you do not have because you do not ask. So simple. You do not have because you do not ask. That's why we sing that song, the old hymn. That's the second hymn I learned in my life. First was, oh, what a great, wonderful one. You remember, I came to Christianity with absolutely no Christian songs. Okay, so I had a very strange life, absolutely strange life. I have disconnected from the church completely because I grew up in a land where there was no church. So there was no Christianity at all. I didn't know a single Christian song until I got saved. That was, I think I was 19 years old when I got saved. Okay, in college, in the Bible study group. My first song I learned was, Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Second song is, What a friend we have in Jesus. What peace we often forfeit, what heedless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We do not have because we do not ask. We do not have because we do not ask. The men and women who struggle but won't pray, Bible unfortunately calls them the proud. The self-sufficient. First category, okay? The prayerlessness, the curse of prayerlessness in our lives we do not have because we do not ask. Second. The second category are those who pray. But their prayers don't go much anywhere. Maybe till the ceiling. Okay? James 4, verse 3 and 4. This is not the prayer of the proud man. This is the prayer of the selfish man. You ask, you do not have, because you do not ask. The first category, you do not ask. Second, those who ask. You ask, but do not receive, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Okay. Uh, proud people may think they pray, but they don't pray, they proclaim. Remember the, uh, the prayer of the Pharisee? He went to the temple, he thought he was praying, but he was not praying, he was making a proclamation. Look how cool I am. <laughs> okay. And he went home dignified. Okay. Proud people pray, but they don't realize they are not actually praying, they are making a proclamation. The selfish man prays, but his prayers may never be answered. To the proud man, God says, you do not have because you do not ask. To the selfish man, God says, you ask, but you receive not. Why? Why don't you receive? I pray, but I don't receive. Why? Because 
you want to spend it on your pleasures. KJV will use that term, lust. On your lust or on your pleasures. Your motive is absolutely wrong. And verse 4 will say, yeah, why did we go to 4.15? Okay. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Once again, because young children are here, let me clarify the world. The world here is not so much people. It can be people if they are extremely worldly people. Okay, world is not so much people. It is not the earth, the world of nature. But the ungodly system in which we live, that is set against, dead against Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. So scripture says, friendship with that world is enmity with God. There are different kinds of enmity, okay? All enmity is not the same. There are different kinds of enmity, okay? Like that little one told me today, okay? And last night she told me, I didn't understand what she was saying. And she said, I am kachi with Sammy. I said, why? He took my computer. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> that is also enmity, <laughs> Okay, it's also enmity. Enmity comes through different ways, but this is a very innocent enmity. Okay, what is this enmity God is talking about? The most vicious form of enmity, it is caused through what is called adultery. I'll explain. Okay, why God doesn't answer many prayers. The church is the bride to be married to Jesus Christ. The purpose of the ministry in the church is to prepare the bride for marriage. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have been betrothed to you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Okay? Now when we, before we got saved, let's use blunt words, we were all harlots in the world. We got saved, Redeemed and now he is cleansing us, cleansing us, cleansing us and was to bring us to a point where we are a chaste virgin and offer us spiritually to Christ. That's the purpose of the ministry in the church for the marriage. Okay. How does it happen? Primarily through the ministry of the word. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. and That he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives. As their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Okay, so it's in first scripture says over there in verse 25, he gave himself for her to redeem her for the penalty of sin, to save her from the world and then constantly cleansing her from every worldly influence. What is he doing through the washing of the water of the word? Cleansing her from every worldly Influence, spirit, soul, body. First Thessalonians 5.23, spirit, soul, body. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and be body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and we can be presented as a chaste virgin from every influence of the world. Pure, spotless bride unspotted by sin or the world.
But the threats of a selfish carnal Christian is not answered because it is to consume or spend on our pleasures. What does it mean? Let me explain to you. So today I hope you get it very clearly. Imagine, I, I can't, in this illustration I cannot use any, any person, okay, because you will get offended, okay. <laughs> Imagine a woman comes to her husband. A woman comes to her husband and tells, I want to take your car today and also give me 10,000 rupees. And he asks, for what? I and my boyfriend are going out and we will be back Sunday morning. What do you think the husband will say? Usually no woman would dare to ask something like that. But God's people brazenly ask God this everything. Give me this so that I can go to the world and spend it with my boyfriend. The world is the enemy of Christ. The one who is after your affections. God, I want that dress. For what? To go to the party because everyone is wearing it. That's the latest. God, I want more strength. For what? Uh, Because I want to go. God, I want healing. For what? So that I can go to serve the world, to spend it on my own pleasures. Just ask, think for a minute and ask. The things that I have asked from God, where is it was to spend it? Where was it to spend? What is God that to do with Christ? What is that God to do with the kingdom? Anything. Nothing is neutral. Absolutely nothing is neutral. It takes one tinge or other. If it is for Christ, it becomes holy. If it is not for Christ, it is called adultery. Whatever. What was it for? And when we got it, where did we send, spend it? Even it when we receive, healing is a good thing. But where are all those who got healed? Did they get, take their healing and come and say, Lord, you heal me? That's what Jesus said. Ten of you were healed, right? How many? Ten. Where are the nine? They took it, they went, they never came back. All ten were healed. One came back and he fell at his feet and said, Lord, you heal me. I want to worship you. He asked Bartimaeus, what do you want? I want to see. How many were healed of their blindness by Jesus? What does scripture say? Bartimaeus received his blind sight and he followed Jesus to Jerusalem. You received a healing? Yes. Where did healing take you? You received strength? Where did Strength take you. You received more money, where has it taken you? Has it led to more commitment, more consecration to the king and the kingdom? Or did you spend it on your own pleasures? You received more wisdom to those who are in academia. When you received more wisdom, I have seen in my own personal life, nine out of ten believers, when they got more wisdom, they used their wisdom against the kingdom of God and start justifying everything and making truth relative instead of using the wisdom like Daniel and standing there alone and says, I will use the wisdom of God 
Like Ravi Zacharias and all does to use the wisdom of God has to contend against powers of darkness and show that the kingdom of God is real. But people do exactly the opposite. What did you do it for? One you ask, but you did not receive. But when you ask and you receive, you spend it amiss on your pleasures. Let me ask you this question to that illustration about that woman. After the woman has said that, give me your card and give me your money, is the husband now her friend or her enemy? Enemy. After you have prayed a prayer similar, is God your friend or your enemy? That's what God says. Friendship with the world is enmity to God. You have made God your enemy. That's what verse 4 says. James 4, 4 says, Whoever there wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We don't even realize by our own very prayers we have made ourselves enemies of God. That's why one of the reasons the world has replaced Christ with Santa. Because for so many Christians, God is just a glorified Santa who answers their wish list. In modern language, 21st century modern language, our prayers are basically, Lord, will you subsidize my lust? We love subsidies, right? Will you subsidize my lusts, my pleasures? I have these lusts, I have these pleasures, and I'm looking at you to subsidize it. So many prayers, which may even look good outwardly, are just carnal, worldly, at the core. At the core. In Philippians 4, verse 19 to 20, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, my God shall supply all your need. He will supply all your need. You don't have to worry, he says. But the question is, when I ask and I pray and I receive, does it bring glory to God? How does it bring glory to God? How can the prayer of a selfish man ever bring glory to God? That's why we need to look, not just the outward prayer. Outward prayer can be couched in KJV language and looks so wonderful to human ears. But God looks at the heart, at the motive. That's why God says, I first look in the heart. I don't look at your prayer. I look at the heart. If you had been at Shiloh, every year when Hannah came and she prayed, her prayer was the same. Every year. Lord, give me a child. 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 People had said, oh, poor mother. She's a poor lady crying out for a baby. Lord, touch her womb. Touch her womb. But why is she crying for a baby? Because she wants a baby? No. Because her co-wife of her husband. We have this co-usage in India. No? Husband has two wives. The other one has child after child after child. And that one is making faces at her. You, what are you? You're good for nothing. I have so many children. You are barren. Now, why does she want a child? Because the other one has children. Just out of jealousy. Just out of enemy. Lord, give me also a child. Give me also a child. Give me also a child. Does God answer her? No. But if you were also that day going to Shiloh and offering and you happened to be there at the same time, you would feel so sorry and say, Lord, please answer this sister's prayer. 
God has an answer. But finally she is broken. And her heart and her prayers are aligned now to the will of God. And then she prays, Lord, you touch my womb, you give me a child, I promise you, I will give the child back to you. God said, answered. Now that's for my glory. Now that's for my glory. You understood? That's for my glory. Prayer of a proud man. Prayer of a selfish man. Okay. But God answers. He loves answering prayer. Don't ever think God says, no, 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 I'm sitting with a checklist. No, no, no. He says he loves answering prayer because he's a father. But he says, my kingdom is not according to your whim and fancy. Everything in my kingdom has rules, principles, order, set in. So, <coughs> there is no variation with me. So verse 5. <clears throat> or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Who is this spirit? It is the Holy Spirit. So we are talking about believers prayer only. We are not talking about Gentiles, unbelievers, nothing. Romans 8, 9 is very clear. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Okay? It's not his. Simple. You cannot be clearer than that. If you don't have the spirit of God, it doesn't matter how much theology you know, you don't belong to him. You are just like some of my professors who knew the Bible very well, but were literal sons of Belial. Because they didn't have the spirit of God. So it doesn't matter how much theology we know, this is what makes us His. Because we have born by the Spirit of God. And we are His. Okay. So James 5 says, don't you know? The Spirit who dwells in us yearns. Okay, for children who don't understand this more of an old English word, yearn means to intensely long. I'm yearning to go home. It's not just a simple longing. It's a very, very strong, powerful feeling. He yearns for what? For the complete possession of our heart, for loyalty to Christ. Not the world. For Christ. Because it is through the world that the devil gets us to cheat on Jesus. Otherwise the devil cannot. The devil gets us to cheat on Jesus through the world. So the world is his mechanism. Okay. On the other hand, the spirit of God who is in us is yearning us intensely to bring us complete surrender to Christ. First note about the Holy Spirit. Okay. Without the Holy Spirit, we actually don't know how to pray. Ephesians 3.18 says about praying in the spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. In the spirit. Without the spirit, we don't know how to pray. In all our prayer life, we need to be first of all, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you. Often the Christian life, for the Christian prayer is a struggle. Study of the word is a struggle. Obedience to God is a struggle. Why? Because there is very little of the Holy Spirit. What should be a pleasure 
It should be a pleasure. Navita, you just married for a month and a half, right? Okay. Two months. Okay. I don't know whether it is still a pleasure serving your husband. It's still a pleasure. Why? Did you see? It's not a struggle. Even though there is struggle in it, because they, culturally they are different. Different. So what he likes and what she likes are so different. Though there is struggle, there is enormous joy in that struggle. Right? There is. So praying should be a pleasure, though there is struggle. Studying the word is a struggle, but there is enormous pleasure. Obeying God is a struggle, but there is enormous pleasure, simply because of the reason you love Jesus. But is it a pleasure? Or is it a burden? Why? Because there is very little of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is grieved and quenched because he sees our open infatuation and flirting with the world. And he is quenched, he is grieved and he withdraws. So we end up coming to church and we are miserable Christians. Miserable Christians. Think of a boy. Okay, Think of a young teenager. Comes to his father and says, can I have 500 rupees? Why? I want to go out with my friends. No. Now he's miserable. He's sulking. He's banging the door. Remember? He's banging the door. Yet if you look into his life, he has everything. He has everything. His father has given him everything. But he's miserable. He's miserable. Why? Because he didn't get that 500 rupees to go out with his friends for a movie and party afterwards. That's how so many Christians are walking. Miserable. But listen to scripture. First Timothy chapter 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these we shall be content. Now let me ask you, is there anybody who hasn't eaten? Hasn't God given us enough clothing? How many of us truly happy and grateful? I don't think there's one person here who has missed a meal because of lack in this almost three months of this year. Or gone one day because you didn't have clothes to wear. Yet we are miserable because we did not receive what we wanted to spend on our pleasures. And our joy was not in a person and a relationship with a person. Our joy was actually in things. Did we eat? Yes. Are we dressed? Quite well. The question is then why are we miserable? Are we sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Why? Are we still enamored with this world? The same world that crucified Christ? The spirit that he had given us yearns. Yearns is in yeah, let's go back to that and keep it there, okay? And I'll come to the next one. Yearns. He yearns. Intensely craves. Yearns how? 
jealous ways. Like I said, anger is good, anger is bad. Be angry but do not sin. Use it positively. Hatred is good, hatred is bad. Jealousy earns how? Jealously. Do you remember what God said when he gave the Ten Commandments? Exodus 20 verses 1 to 5. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Amen? Jealous God. You see, I cannot be a jealous preacher. Why? Because there are plenty of preachers better worse than me. I'm not the only one. There are plenty of others. Peter, Abel, Raj. You cannot be jealousing us. Why? You're not the only one. There are plenty of others. You look into anything you are, you cannot be jealous because there are plenty of others. But God is the only one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's only one God. And he says, therefore I am a jealous God if you try to make something or somebody into God because I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. It cannot take, nothing can take his place in our lives. One, he's the only one. Two, he's married to Israel. Christ is to be married to us. So there is a jealousy that is right in a marriage relationship. The one who is competing for our love for God or for Christ is the world. Who is the one who is competing for our love for God, a love for Christ? It is the world. The devil doesn't come with his horns and says, love me, we'll all run from him. No, he never does it. He comes through the world. That's why 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Why? Because they are in directly in competition with the love of God in your hearts. Love of God in your hearts. Directly in competition. The question is, how sensitive are we to the Holy Spirit? We are still slaves of things. Look at Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. How did Abel offer a better sacrifice? A more excellent sacrifice. How did he offer it? Because he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sensitive. The Holy Spirit said, you want to offer a sacrifice? Yes. Who do you want to offer it? To God. He said, you want to please God. This is the way to offer it. He said, okay, Lord. Cain didn't ever ask. He said, I want to offer a sacrifice and I'm going to do it the way I like it. You take it or you leave it. Cain was sensitive, sorry, Abel was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's how he offered his sacrifice. He was sensitive to the ways of God. Hebrews 11.5 
By faith Enoch was taken away so he did not see death, was not found because God had taken him before. Before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God. How did he please God? He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. How? What is the only thing we know about Enoch? He walked with God. What does Amos 3.3 say? Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can they? He was extremely sensitive to the words of God he had heard. He didn't have a written scripture, but he had heard from God. And everything that you hear from God is scripture. He was extremely sensitive to the word of God and he obeyed. He didn't grieve the Holy Spirit. He didn't quench the Holy Spirit. He obeyed and therefore he walked with God. Question is, how sensitive are to be to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has said so many things. How sensitive are we? Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly prayer, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He worked. He made an ark in the middle of nowhere. How? He was extremely sensitive to the work of God. Extremely sensitive to the work of God. He was extremely sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Genesis 6.22 says, Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. In the next verse, 7. Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Extremely sensitive in his work. Question is, how sensitive are we? Actually for me, Hebrews 11, Abel, Enoch and Noah is actually the sum total of a marriage. Sum total of a marriage. Next wedding, you will hear from Hebrews 11. Let me ask you this question. You want a relationship with God. Can you have a relationship with God if you don't communicate to God at set hours? Can you build a relationship with one another unless you communicate at set hours? The ones with you are very close are with those you have communicated at set hours. Right? The first thing you see is worship. Human terms equal to fellowship. All those who are married... Let me ask you this question. Do you have set hours where you talk? Do you have set hours you talk? One of the reasons marriages never grow beyond a point is because there is no communication because there is no set hours. One of the reasons people don't grow in their relationship with God is because God can never depend upon them that they will turn up. God comes, they are not there. They are not there. And the thing is that in every relationship it is this. If I want a relationship with God, then He sets the time and I adhere to it. I don't set the time. That's why the psalmist says early in the morning or late in the night, whatever it is, where there is no distractions. He sets the time and I adhere to it. Those who are married, you want a real relationship with you in your family, your husband sets the time and you adhere to it. Otherwise it will never happen. 
Some of you have to pursue your husband and say, set a time. And he said, this is my time. Change your entire schedule, otherwise your marriage will be a sham. He said, this is my time. This is my best time I have for you. He says, I will take it. And I will change my entire schedule to fit it. That's how it works. Otherwise it will not work. That's why the emptiness people feel is because there's no genuine relationship with God. You can have an incredible genuine relationship with God even if you don't experience one miracle in your life. Is it written that uh, when Enoch walked, sparks flew? His shadow fell, people got healed. There's no miracle mentioned in Enoch's life at all of 300 years. But he walked with God. Get this, young people. Get these things right in the beginning. Because if you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that's a key in prayer. Sensitive to the Holy Spirit, it will lead to the next step. In James chapter 4. He gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because if I and you are actually sensitive to the Holy Spirit, it will lead to increasing submission to God. That's a sign. How do you know or I know that I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Simply look at your submission to God. Jesus was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Arise, go to Galilee, get baptized. He went 70 miles. He got baptized, arise. Scripture says the Spirit of the Lord said, go to the wilderness. He went to the wilderness. He's baptizing, or rather his disciples are baptizing. Ministry has begun. Ministry is flourishing. The Holy Spirit says, go to Samaria. He gets up and goes to Samaria. Sensitivity leads to submission or obedience. Incredible. You see the order in which James has written it. Therefore, submit to God. There is a Holy Spirit who earns for you jealously and if you are actually surrendering to that yearning, it will show in your submission to God. You submit to God. Because God resists the proud. Why? Because prayer is not some formula by which you can bend God's will to fit your own agenda. That's what all religion do. In every religion, it's a mantra. What is the purpose of the mantra? You're using that to bend God to do your will. It is not bending your will to do God's purpose. It is bending God to do your will. Understand the difference. Prayer is ultimately submitting to the will of God. Trouble began in Aden when man said, what did man say? Or he didn't say, but he meant it, not thy will, but mine be done. But on, our example is not Adam. Our example is Jesus. In Matthew 6, verse 9 to 10, he says, In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Whose will? His will. Continuously this was his life. When he ends, Luke 22 verse 42. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is all prayer. It's all prayer. What is prayer? Submitting to the will of God. Then scripture says, scripture says, when our life starts being defined by submission to the will of God, he says, we have confidence of our prayers being answered. 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 says, Now this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. We have the confidence. He hears us. That's so why I go back to James 4, 6 and 7. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Submit to God. The humble submit and obey. The question is, <clears throat> as we grow older, everyone is growing old. I look at some of the old video clips I have of even GSS children. These were all chinnapapas. Now I look at them, they all have grown. But the question is, yes, you have grown. But have you increased in your obedience? As young people, as children, can you say I have increased in my obedience to my parents or guardians? Has wives sitting over here, have you increased in your obedience to your husband? Has the men sitting here, have you increased in obedience to Christ? That's the order. That's the order. Men, to God. Wife, to your man. Children, to your parents or your guardians. Have you increased in obedience? Ask. It's all part of prayer. All part of prayer. Your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You submit to God and it doesn't stop there. Then you have to resist the devil in your prayer. The problem is without doing any of this thing, we are all resisting the devil in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I bind you and he sits there and does like this. Because he says, you don't know the order, I know the order. I know scripture very well. I was there when it was written. And when it was spoken, I know I have got a memory. Which doesn't fade. He says, I know the order in James chapter 4. You are trying to skirt 1 to 6 and then say, I resist the devil. He says, it doesn't work. I don't have to resist you. I resist. I, some, I, I flee from the word. Resist the devil. The scripture says, in prayer do we resist the devil. Do we resist the devil? Simple, think about when we are praying on our own. Phone rings. God, how do you think the phone rings when you pray? It's the devil who rings. He will tell somebody, call now. Finished, our prayer is gone. Children fight. Milk boils over. All kinds of things happen when we are in prayer. Question is, do we resist the devil? Ultimately what happens, we are praying now. We are talking on one level, thinking on another level. Has that happened to you? We are praying, talking on one level. But we are thinking something else. How does that happen? It is the devil really. Can he do that? Oh yes, he can. You remember the parable of the sower, the seed that was thrown on the street? Who took it away? 
Birds of the air. Do you know it has happened today in this evening when I was preaching, I could see the seeds being taken away. Do you know that? That even when you are thinking, he is able to see that you don't hear what your ears are receiving and takes it away as soon as it falls. Do you think he can't do that? Scripture says he can do that. He can not only take the thought away, he can also put a thought into your mind. Do you know that? Read scripture, John chapter 13, right? And verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Who put it into his heart? The devil put the thought, go out, betray him. It was not his original thought. But when he acted on it, it became his original thought. The devil can take a thought away, godly, and he can replace it another thought if you are not watchful in prayer. That's why God says, resist the devil in prayer. Watch and pray because he's not afraid of anything else but prayer. He can take a thought away. That's why after years of preaching of the word ministry of one and a half hours, Sundays, Wednesdays, we see very little because it's just been taken away because we never come truly prepared for the word. We don't fight this in prayer, realizing how important eternally it is. That's why God says resist the devil. He will flee. Why? Because prayer is warfare. Someone truly said, devil laughs at our organizations, our crowds, our schemes, but trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees. He's not worried by all these organizations and schemes and plans and programs. He's not bothered, but he sees the weakest saint on his knees. He trembles because he knows trouble starts now. Trouble starts now. Okay? It's very beautiful how James put it. If you come to verse 8, we are not looking at verse 8 today, but I'll just show you verse 8 says. What does verse 8 says? James chapter 4 and verse 8. I didn't give it to you. Draw near to... How do you draw near to God? Do you just walk? No, you draw near to God in prayer. You draw near to God in prayer. God draws near to you and then he says that will demand separation from the world from you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, purify your hearts and what does it mean? He says when you come closer to God in prayer, you will suddenly realize you have dirty hands, defiled hearts and split minds. Dirty hands, defiled hearts and split minds. That is why Thessalonians says he can make you blameless in the spirit, in the soul, in the body. And present you blameless at the hour of Jesus coming. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. Prayer is serious. Much more than asking something and getting something. As I close today, I want to read from this. Incredible. I have my daily devotions which I get from different sources in the world. Okay. This is a North Korean Christian who managed to escape, okay? When he was told by an American missionary, saying, American missionary says, we pray for you. He said, you pray for us? He said, we pray for you. He said, 
the problem with American and South Korean, okay, the free side, Christians, you have so much. You put your faith in your money and in your freedom. In North Korea, we neither have money nor freedom, but we have Christ. And we have found he is sufficient. He said in North Korea, Christians don't pray for the freedoms Americans have. Freedoms Americans have. What is the freedoms we pray for? Lord, I want a job. I want money. I want a race. I want health. I want strength. I want this. I want these are freedoms. He says in North Korea, we don't pray for the freedoms America has. Because freedom in Christ is something that can't be granted or taken away by a government. Says we do not pray for a regime change. Can you imagine it? They said we do not pray to God by saying change the government in North Korea. We don't pray for a regime change. We don't pray for more freedoms. We don't pray for money. We only pray for more of Christ. And to mirror more and more Christ in our lives. That's what we pray for. You understand why those churches are so strong? Absolutely strong. But look at our prayer, their prayer. Our prayer is all for more freedoms. Their prayer is for more of Christ. That's what prayer is. That's what God is talking about. If my people who are called by my name, they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways, I will forgive you and I will heal your land. Heal your land. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Father. Help us to see, open our eyes to God, that our real need is only you. More of you, more of you, more of you each day. Less of us, less of us, less of us. She's told that man, called him the fool, the rich fool. He could gain the whole world and lose our soul. He could have everything the world has to offer and die miserable and lonely. Yet have Christ and have nothing and be content and have a song in the darkest night. That's the story of your church. Story of your church Triumphant church has never been more things, more freedoms, but more joy, more peace, more of Christ. Pray, Father, that as we have studying what true prayer is, we learn to ask so that we'll cease from fighting. Because you are the one who gives. Who gives his own son. Who gives us everything that we need. 
that we'll ask right that we don't spend it on our pleasures, on our lusts. That we'll be truly, truly sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Constantly submitting to the Father. Resisting powers of darkness. Help us, Lord. Let it this not be theology. When servants of yours in the ancient past said, they were kings, yet they said, one day, one day, in your presence, was worth a thousand elsewhere. One day. Help us to love you. Long for you. Yearn for you as your spirit yearns for us. Then when we are sent out, we go rejoicing because we know and we experience your presence as we go out and as we serve you. Help us to know you are really what you say you are. We have not substituted one religion for another. But we are left religion for a genuine relationship with the living God. A relationship that keeps growing each day. Each day, Lord. Because of you, because you yearn intensely for us, we also, Lord, help us to yearn intensely for you. So that one day we too can say, like Apostle Paul, for us to live or die is gain. Thank you, Father. As we go back to our homes, help us to meditate on your word. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.